For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. NFTs with respect to real estate because it's coming. And if people don't believe it's coming, that's fine. I'd rather them not if they're one of my competitors. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm super excited today. We have Rebecca Hidalgo Reigns with us. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, welcome, Ms. Wright. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Brad, for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So just we, we did a little podcast swap. I was on Rebecca's, you know, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, and now here we get to bring you on ours and uh, super excited for the energy, your knowledge. I mean, we go back quite a ways, you know, from my early days in my career. So it's good to have you back on. My early days too, Brad. Um, that was what, 15, 16, 17 years ago or so we go back when you were working at Trend Homes right along with me. And we were kind of like on separate camps back then. Not really, because I'm a cool salesperson and I would never treat <laughs> my construction guys any different than anybody else. But um, it was really cool having you on the show. Thank you for coming on Grateful Heart. Yeah, it was awesome. And so Grateful Heart, of course, we're going to tag that. That's Rebecca. So you have to definitely give her a follow after listening to this episode. And Rebecca's super involved. You know, she's a broker, podcast host, speaker, entrepreneur, pretty much everything. Uh, and, and I've just been so impressed with everything you're doing. In fact, going back, just the quick background, as Rebecca mentioned, I was at Trent Homes out of college. So my first year out of college doing production, Rebecca ran the sales there at Via Siena. I was there being trained by Adam, who works with me now. And which is uh, really, yeah, which is <laughs> And then here we are, you know, what is that? 18 years later, now we've essentially passed across again work-wise, so. Yeah, and I'm super excited. I'm getting signed up for your uh, class at the Coalition in May, awesome. along with my colleague. We just talked about it this morning, and there'll be three of us joining you. I can't wait to learn more from you, Brad. I learned so much during our podcast. You know, the thing I think people in my position in my industry, the more we research, the more we get educated our, ourselves, the better we can serve. And I'm super nerdy. I, you know, even back at the trend home days, I was the one stuck doing all the pivot tables on our spreadsheet reports. I don't know if you remember that. And, you know, um, my salespeople hated it. That worked for me because I could track all their stuff. And I have kind of carried that through my career and I'm always looking ahead. And I think that I know you mentioned you're excited to talk about a couple of the projects I'm working on right now, because a lot of my competition just plum isn't in there yet. Well, I, I think we start there. I think what's really interesting about that, Rebecca, and the reason I want to have you on too, is, you know, our, our demographic of listeners, you know, they're entrepreneurs. I mean, yes, a lot are in the construction design, architectural world, but the reality is a lot of them are business owners, not even related to construction, but they find, you know, the, the guests that come on super 
interesting, you know, when they talk about company culture and marketing and all the, you know, all the things, right. And mm -hmm. with you, what's interesting is, which I want to get into, you know, crypto, NFT, I mean, all kinds of amazing stuff, affordable housing that you're doing. But I think before we go there, you know, you being broker and of course you super savvy, you've been working what, 20, 25 years in real 30 estate. Years so, same, dude. 30, 30 years. years. <laughs> yeah, full time. I look at too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. How's the market? Because, you know, you hear a lot of conflicting things online. You know, there seems to be just oh, like Debbie gosh. Downers. And from what I'm seeing, it's not the case. But what are you seeing from a market perspective? Well, you know, I sent you a couple of charts. I don't know if you're able to pull those up or not. I just uh, recorded a podcast right before we came on to this one. And it was about the market. And I had three of my colleagues, two lenders and a title person, the title person said they've just had the busiest opening of uh, escrows this past week than they've had in recent history. Uh, the mortgage folks are all reporting businesses up. But if you're reading articles like the one from Goldman Sachs that just went out a, barely over a week ago, you would think it was doom and gloom. And I think the biggest thing that we're seeing is clickbait in our industry. And a lot of people know that, you know, negative sells a little bit faster. And so they put out all these negative headlines and they're not actually the fact. You know, the fact is we had the shortest buyer market in history here in the Valley. If we're talking Arizona marketplace, November and December were called buyer markets. November and December, guys, we're already back to a seller market officially here in our area. My uh, just my last guest was talking about how a property one of her clients was looking to purchase over the weekend was listed at 580. They went up to 615. And the winner got it at 6.30. So we're still having bidding wars. We're having appraisal issues because homes are coming in for less than what people are willing to pay. And if you watch the news or listen, you know, read the headlines, you would think it was a very different picture. Right now we have 5,500 pending sales here in the Valley. That is as of this minute. And last month we were like at 3,800. And then the month prior it was even half of that. But this time last year we were at 11,000. Uh, so what we saw this time last year is we had 0.7 and 0.6 months worth of inventory, but right now we're at 3.7 months and balanced market is right around four months or so. What we really need is we need more sellers to return to the marketplace because a lot of the buyers that are out there aren't happy with what they're seeing out there. We have currently 18,000 active homes on the market. So if you were to believe the articles like what Goldman Sachs put out, you would think we were in 2008's market when we had 43,000 homes on the market. And that is not the case at all. We don't have enough, enough houses to go around. And, oh, guess what? This week is Super Bowl. We have the waste management open. We have spring training coming. We are nice and warm and wearing shorts and T-shirts when half the country is freezing their tails off. So we have a ton of companies coming into town because of that. We have semiconductor, uh, the, the Taiwanese one on the north side of the valley, out in Eastmark, we have, um, oh my gosh, between the two, I believe it's 22 million square feet of commercial under construction. Currently, 17 and a half of it was pre-sold prior to them even breaking ground. So where are all those people going to live coming to our valley? We need our sellers to return. And the problem I'm seeing is a lot of sellers are looking at the prices from last spring when they peaked. So we had a peak last late spring, right around May, June. And then we had a bottom in November. And now we're already seeing bidding wars again. That's what's happening in our marketplace. And the rates right now are teetering right around six. And the predictions right now from Barry Habib is that by May we'll probably be starting in the fours again, you guys. Under five is what he's predicting.
It's amazing. It's amazing to think about that because I mean, for anyone that's followed real estate, I know early, actually, when I met you coming to Trent Homes, I remember it's like historic lows, like 30 years low, under 6%. It just got under six. I think it was like 5.375 when I met you at Trent Homes. And yeah, you know, we're, well, we're not far off from that. Different. No, no, but our sales prices were very different right. back in they the were. days. And so that I think that's the biggest thing that we saw from when the interest rates did that did that crazy rise up. It was really March through June. Um, we literally saw the home prices to the consumer, the monthly home prices double. And that is an issue. And that's why I'm so passionate about affordable housing, because during COVID, I had firemen, policemen, uh, you know, I had teachers who couldn't compete because we were having REITs coming in, real estate investment groups paying cash. And, and it was the homes went to the people in the deepest pockets. So a lot of those people waited on the sidelines for things to improve. And when they did, they were smacked in the face with a 7% interest rate because that's where we were at at the end of last year. So I, I, I do want to come back to that, the affordable housing. I know that's a topic I wanted to address with you. But before we get there, what's interesting is you had mentioned you know the title company. There's a few things to unpack here. But before I get to even the title company, that, that you had brought up initially is as you had talked about that it's a, it's a buyer market, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you gave the example of, you know, a couple of homes. Is there a metric that you're tracking as a broker to, to really navigate? Is this a buyer seller market? I mean, yeah. how's that tracked? Is it, you know, days on market, you know, purchase price as opposed to list price? I mean, how do you track if it's a buyer seller market? Well, one wonderful report most of us subscribe to here in the Valley, I, it's a local market report called the Cromford Report. It started by Mike Orr and now Tina Tambor goes around and does wonderful presentations for people in my industry. Most title companies on a monthly basis are having her present to realtors in the area. And what I really love about them is their analytics are scrubbed. Their data is scrubbed. It's not just raw data from the MLS. And um, they have something called the Cromford Index. So at 100 we know we are at a perfect balanced buyer-seller market. One year ago, we were at 492 for a Cromford Index, which basically meant we had five buyers for every one house. Today, we are at 118% for the Cromford Index, so it just barely has slid over to actually a seller market. It was the shortest-run buyer market, meaning we dipped below 100 for literally November and December of 2022. And that was it. One thing that she did mention and was a chart that I sent over to you is that prices are going to be lagging. They are a lagging indicator of what's really happening out there in the trenches. So if people are looking at closings from last December, they may see more seller concessions. They may see a little bit lower pricing than what they're going to be able to do today. And because of that, I have a lot of buyers come to me thinking that they're going to be able to steal a house. And that's in fact, not the case, not here in Arizona anyways. Yeah. It's interesting you say that we, you know, I was just at the bill show last week, as you know, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. one of the most attended bill shows, I mean, of course the vendors are pretty bullish on the market and where it's going and what they're seeing, right. Based on demand right. and uh, you know, orders, purchase orders that are coming through the system. And what's interesting, there were some national builders there and we know that Phoenix is dominated by the national bill. These big national builders, but Essentially, they they were looking more to secure product, you know, be at the mm-hmm. top of the food chain to product as opposed to really negotiating pricing, which I thought was interesting that they're more worried about having access to product than they are access to low pricing. Well, you and I both understand the reason for that. And that's because when you can't get your hands on product, all of a sudden you're paying a lot more. And we saw a lot of builders during COVID struggled tremendously with getting their hands on product, taking longer to build. So they're carrying these houses longer. Carrying costs. And then- carrying costs. 
And then, oh, let's not forget about the cost of lumber that went up. So they were under contract with buyers maybe at 400 and they thought they were going to make a certain profit. And sometimes like I, the builder I work for often right now, there were a couple of homes where um, the buyers turned around and flipped them right away because they made so much during that build time. And he lost and he was not happy about that because of the <laughs> supply issue. And that is a legitimate, I can see why the big guys are wanting to make sure that they can control what they're going to be paying for countertops, cabinets, flooring, and all the, everything else that goes into a house, not to mention the roofing and the stucco and everything. I mean, you, that's your world, Brad. I'm trying to get into it myself right now. Um, so you can speak to that better than I can. Yeah, it's interesting. And so going back and maybe we go this, you know, with, with the affordable housing, I know you've been on top of this because one thing that is really an issue is, as you mentioned, you bring in, you know, firefighters, policemen, school teachers, right? This is like the core of our culture in America. These are people, Mm -hmm. yeah, that are, um, that definitely need a lot more support than most of us give them in a lot of ways. And, you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, land has gone up, right? Land Mm -hmm. development costs have gone up, materials gone up. So as you look at just the cost to develop horizontal land development, undergrounds, Mm -hmm. and then you put that into house prices and lumber and all the things you're mentioning and labor's gone up, inflation. And so now you're doing these, you know, high, you know, for anyone to come in, even at a production home or entry level, it's still beyond expensive. Plus you have 6% interest rates. So, you know, I know you're working with a gentleman from Kauai working on affordable housing and, and speak to that. Yeah, I am so excited. I got to interview Jim Edmonds with Kauai Pal, and he he talks about affordable living, not affordable housing. I get to go this week and meet with him in person, sit in on one of their board meetings. I'm super excited for that because I'm starting it's my a own tough program. trip to Kauai, by the way. Yeah, I know. Twist my arm backwards. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry way, to interrupt my daughter, you. daughter went to University of Hawaii, met a boy, fell in love, and never came home. So I, if I get an excuse to go out there and see my kid, I go. And so when he mentioned um, all the projects that he's doing out there, I want to bring that here. And, and I started a webpage called alohatopia.org. I am looking for people who are interested in the product and also perhaps uh, investors as well. What I'm looking to help do is empower people through education. And you and I being in the industry, you and I know a little bit more than you know the average Joe when it comes to, and that those are the people I want to cater to. When it comes to building a home, picking up some land. You know, we talked about it on, on my podcast when you came on. Your perfect client is somebody who's already built a custom home. Your perfect client is somebody who um, understands the process, has been there before, but the bar to build, building your own custom home is pretty darn high, Brad, as you know, both income-wise, reserves, and experience. And so that dream is really out of, um, out of the realm for most people. And so what I have discovered in my own real estate career, uh, my husband and I bought some land here in Arizona a couple of years back, and I've always been on the marketing and sales part of things. You know, I love to talk if you can't tell, and I love to sell houses, and I've been doing it really well for 30 years, and I've worked for builders since um, I went to Highland Bay School. This really dates me back in 1996, and learned the critical path to sales, which was a technique that I brought into Trend Homes. I think my first month at Trend before you got there, I started there in 2001, Brad. I sold 34 homes, 31 of which had closed escrow. And I really did take days off. You know, I was really, you know, excited, young and motivated to help people. But you know where he put me? Um, I was out in Cambridge Estates on 115th Avenue in Buckeye and we were selling homes for $99,000. 
It was not a hard thing to sell homes for $99,000. We had the Nehemiah 2-1 buy down and OPS, we were doing sweat equity. So I think what it is, is my experience working for Trend, which I love the fact that you were there too, uh, has brought me back to my roots. And the builder I currently work for, Vilago Homes, uh, did it about 10 years ago. He also worked at Trend Homes. He uh, was doing sweat equity so people could earn their own down payment. Well, in my course of doing my podcast, I came across a company here in, in town called Strata, and they build with Sapscrete with foam construction. And it's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and talk about their, their company and what they do, but what I loved about them and what I'm hoping to do is pair them with what, we're, what Jim's doing out in Kauai is I went to school and I learned how to build those houses. It was three days and trust me, I'm much better talking than I am at physical labor and I could go through the school and build a little shed. It wasn't that hard and they teach you all the techniques. So what I intend to do is empower people, teach them how to buy some land and parcel it off. Uh, here in Arizona, if you split five ways, you don't have to do all the subdivision requirements, which you're familiar with, which cost a lot of money, you know, the curb and gutter, the infrastructure, the street lights, all that good stuff. If you split five ways, that is where there's a lot of money that could be saved for the future home buyers and really teach them how to do for themselves what those of us are already doing in the business for business, right? And if we can empower them and teach them and LPS, let's go through and get the programs in line with both FHA and USDA that allows them to do sweat equity and help build their own home and perhaps paint it, they can earn their down payment. And then I intend to take it a step further and start raising funds to help people buy down their interest rates. Because while today we are at 6%, um, if they were back down in the threes and fours where we were a year and two ago, that is really where the affordability comes in. People buy on a monthly payment. They buy based off of their income. That is what we need to do is keep those payments where my firemen, my teachers, my my policemen, those that serve our communities should not be priced out of buying their first home. That to me is a travesty. I got, you know, at the age of 20, got to buy my first home. It was $88,000 here in Chandler. And oh my gosh, I was having a heart attack because I think the payment was $700 and the interest rate was 7%. Um, and those were the good old days, right? And today that same home is probably worth a half a million. I don't know what it's worth, but with the interest rate, you could be paying 4000 a month. So if they're earning 6000 a month, they're not going to qualify. And that is where we're sitting right now. And that is, I think, a travesty. I think everybody should have the ability to earn their right to home ownership. I'm not looking to give anybody anything, but I do want to teach them so that they can earn it themselves. Well, again, I have like a ton of notes here as you're speaking, Rebecca, just because you're so informed. And what I love about you, like just, just the background again. So what's really cool, and I told Rebecca this, so as a young sales kid, I'm out of college. Just to preface this, I'm, you know, I'm early 20s. I'm trying to figure out how to be a superintendent. And you and Martin Iono, who, I mean, there are other salespeople there. You both love Martin too. <laughs> we have him in common. Hopefully he'll watch the show. We'll make Martin. I'm going to text it to him, but Martin, great okay. guy. And, um, <laughs> so Mar Martin and Rebecca, you know, we would have our weekly sales meeting. Of course, Martin and Rebecca would always take care of us contractors. Like they would buy us big breakfasts at our meetings and always be, be really kind. And we're full of so much information. What's interesting, Rebecca, is what I do want to ask you, when you say sweat equity, uh, it essentially what you're saying is the homeowners are performing some of the scope of work. So that's saving yeah. cost of the house, right? And so you were doing and this at Trent Homes early on? Oh yeah. We were doing, when I started out there, they were doing paint for down 
And actually, my it's so funny, ironic again, how life works. My husband today, uh, he was out at Finley Farms and he painted his own house with Trend Homes years before him <laughs> and I ever met. So when he, I met him and he told me who his salesperson was, um, somebody by the name of Roger, who you and I both would know yeah. of. Um, I'm like, what a weird small world, you know, and that is a program that we got a lot of attention for uh, with Belago Homes about 10 years ago. The first community Wayne had me sell for him was down off of Central and Rozier. Like literally we had a crack house right next to it. He picked up the 48 lot subdivision and it was called Tierra Vista. And we were having people go in there and paint their own homes. So even more recent than the trend days. And we got a lot of um, uh, we got a lot of experience from that, from Trend and from Belago. And unfortunately, not everybody's meant to paint their own house. And, you know, right. we <laughs> give them very limited ex- um, training for that, very limited training. What I love about uh, what Strata's doing is they actually, I was just there this morning and I got to meet the creator of the product. They actually have a school here in Tempe that you can go through. And so what my intention is, is to get my lender partners together to basically bring back sweat equity so they they can also paint and participate in the construction. They call it framing. When you and I talk framing, we think more wood, but they don't involve wood. And this is actually a great product. So if you're not familiar with it, we can talk further about it. I can send you the link. It's episode 98 on my podcast show. Well, we'll reference that episode 98. Let me ask you this. Do you find, especially now that, you know, early on, you know, 20 years ago, as you mentioned with trend, it wasn't so much an issue. Do, in your experience, especially representing some of the national builders, do they have any concern or like Strata or Belago, do they have any concern, you know, whether it be insurance or homeowners coming in during the project? You know, how do they essentially break that apart? Oh, yeah. So there's definitely, um, let's just say we had to have some people come back more than once to finish painting their houses. And they did have to have their own insurance for indemnity reasons, you know, in place, because obviously if, you know, they fell and tripped, you know, they are not one of our licensed subcontractors. So we made sure that the liability was um, mitigated for the builders when that was happening, both at Trend and Blago Homes. And, um, you know, my creation with Aloha Topia will be including that, but it'll be their own properties. And that's the part that's different. And I think that will allow them to actually get the pricing down where they need it to be and have it be more affordable because I hate to say it, I'm going to help them cut out the developer. I'm going to teach them how to do it. Sorry, guys. Don't hate me. You're a developer. <laughs> well, I love that. Well, one other thing you mentioned that I want to ask you about, you said that you're putting together, you're raising funds to buy down rates. And so is this a charity organization that you're running? Yeah. Because, I mean, buying down rates is really important for, as you mentioned, for those that yeah. would essentially qualify so they can afford that, you know, that so, monthly payment. So the wonderful thing is, is USDA already has income limits in play for, um, you know, getting a zero down loan with them. And we're probably going to just follow their guidelines and their guidelines is different based off of, you know, household number and on the counties. So it's, you know, they have a map in their website that shows you where they're available. And so where, when we can use USDA, we will, but FHA, you know, is across the whole entire country and they're the ones that actually do the sweat equity or allow for sweat equity. And what we have to do, you can only earn what you would pay a licensed contractor. So we had to get bids from our painters for the Lago homes to only give that much in the down payment assistance. And that was the only job they could actually have done their landscaping. They could have done so much more, but that was the only job that the builder felt comfortable allowing them to come in because kind of feel like anybody can get a, you know, paint can and a brush and start painting away. I will say I'm terrible painter. There is talent involved. 
Um, and so with education, and I think that was one thing that we could have done better at both builders was educate people so they would have been happier at the product. And we only allowed them to paint the inside because obviously curb appeal affects resale value. And so they were having professionals paint the outside because they didn't want to run into the same issues that, you know, Trend had had 20 years ago executing that same program. Trend is no longer in existence. Um, a lot of people that worked with us back in the day are still around working. They got bought out so many times. It's now known more as Lennar Homes, which is across the whole country. And a company like Lennar would never allow sweat equity. So right. it's really going to be a smaller guys that are going to be, I think, chasing the more affordable housing initiative. And what's going to happen is the Lennars, you know, because of the cost, and that's, I'm sure, why they're trying to control the cost by getting their hands on the supplies and the materials, um, is going to be challenging. And with the rates as high as they are, one thing that the builders have done very well the last six months to deal with the inventory that they got when, rate, when the interest rates rose, for example, I bought a Lennar home. They paid for our interest rate to come down to 4.5% when the going rate was 7, and they paid all of our closing costs. So they made, they did it really well. They did it smart. And um, that's a thing that we saw a lot of builders do. So they have it within their wheelhouse. But if the market doesn't dictate that they have to do that, they're not going to. They're corporate. You know, they're about making money. And I get that. I'm not saying that I'm not. But at this point in my career, I'm really passionate about helping those that serve as well. You know, we got to get back to a sense of community. I think nothing else that we learned during COVID was it was a really scary time to be locked up in your home. And, you know, if you don't have community surrounding you during that time period, you know, we had senior citizens living in homes where their families couldn't come visit them and all the other terrible things. I don't even want to go there because it's so negative. But that was just two years ago, two years ago. And I think it's fresh in a lot of our minds. You know, a lot, there's a lot of interest to live off the grid, live healthier, be outdoors more. And those are all the things that I want to include and incorporate into the Lohatopia um, organization with the education pieces is I want to help people learn how to live affordably and a little bit more healthy as well. Because um, at the end of the day, again, I feel like it's time for me to give back. I've had a wonderful career my last 30 years. I'm not done doing anything yet. And I definitely want to help make sure that my children and their children can buy houses too. And that's really education and empowering people. So let me ask you this, because as I'm going through this, you mentioned early on that there's, you know, there's a difference between affordable housing and affordable living, you know, so maybe define kind of what those two are and what you, you know, what you mean by that. Well, the wonderful thing is I get to go learn even more about it in just a couple more days, Brad. But <laughs> the thing that I took away from Jim's um, interview that I did with him, he had me do that was kind of on a rush because he was presenting at NAR, which is the National Association of Realtors. He's been, I think, selling as a broker for 40 plus years himself out in Kauai. And so he saw the need out there. But what he has found during his last 10 years of, of pushing this forward is that people, when they're just given stuff, maybe don't appreciate it if they haven't earned it. And so what he's also about is educating and making sure that it's not just like Section 8 housing or something like the government's just giving somebody, I'm not going to say a free ride, obviously, people are qualifying for those programs. But, you know, he wants to educate them on how to live more affordably. And, and that covers all facets of living that you would expect it to. Um, and then as far as the housing is concerned, he's gotten a lot of people together. And I'm really excited to learn all the more getting into the weeds with them about every little thing that they're doing. And I get to tour some of their projects this week, which I'm really excited about. Um, but ultimately, you know, he's empowering them to learn as well. So it's, it's about education is really the difference. You know, when you just give a kid, you know, a toy and they did nothing to deserve it, you know, where does that toy go and how long does it last? You know, we, we want 
we want them to be good quality homes they're proud of and that they are going to cherish and hopefully pass on and not just look at it like, Ugh, I have to live here for a little while. You know, that, that's not going to serve anybody. And that is not what I, I want to do. And I know that's not what Jim's doing out there in Pal Kauai. Well, I think what's incredible is we haven't even dove into everything you're doing because what's fascinating is you've had this amazing real estate career, you know, broker of again, you know, all the knowledge you've been fortunate. And then of course the charity aspect you're doing, Rebecca, right? That you've already spoken about. But also you have like crypto and NFT in here. So again, I'm a total nerd. I'm a, yeah, I, I gotta tell you, and I, I bet you see the same thing, Brad, because you host your own podcast I'm on right now. Is since I started my podcast three years ago, I've had the ability to interview so many cool people and hear their story, right? And many of them have inspired me. So one show, I actually early on, I was still on the radio station. I started my show on the radio and I had one of our title reps who was super nerdy going to Inman all the time. Inman is another convention that's on the techie side and the real estate platforms. And um, they were talking about cryptocurrency back then. I really didn't understand it. It's a new language. Uh, it, I it did a couple shows with her, learned some of the language, but really what caught me was about, it was actually, it was February 22nd of last year and I was at the Mona Lucia. So when you mentioned building the Mona Lucia, I'm like, oh gosh, we're coming full circle here. <laughs> I was at the Mona Lucia with a girlfriend. You know, I cut out of work early. We decided we hadn't seen each other like in the year. And there's actually somebody I met at Trend Homes, another salesperson there. And we were um, up there. We decided to do girls spa day and a gentleman approached me and was talking to me about the metaverse and NFTs. And I probably looked like a deer with, you know, and with headlights going on, right? I was like, huh, what are you talking about? This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes, and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And he's like, oh, yeah, Fashion Week, Milan, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't know about the you know, metaverse and NFTs, like you're missing out, woman. And I literally was like horrified because I'm so nerdy. I'm like, how do I not understand this and know what's going on? I mean, obviously, we all know the word crypto. I think everybody knows the word Bitcoin. You know, we've all had had heard that. Right. Um so I started down the path trying to figure out who does this in real estate, who's, who knows about it. And then I found a company by the name of Proppy. They're out of Florida, and they agreed to come on my show. And I learned a thing or two, enough to get myself really motivated. And I recently became the first real, real estate team in the whole nation to have my team crypto certified. I'll explain what that means. Um, and 
I did that the same week as the FTX collapse. And so, you know, mind you, I had been researching them for months and it was just like, I think good timing, but in, in people in the class, I think were a little embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, what am I doing in this class? The FTX is collapsing, blah, 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 blah. And it's no different than when Enron collapsed. I mean, did it take down Wall Street? No. But the timing was that literally, I don't know how many media channels picked up the story. And in fact, I believe this week, New York Times is running an article. And on me, I think it's going to be hitting actually in the next few days. So when I get that link, I'll share it with you, Brad. And it has to do with the fact that out in, out in Florida, Proppy now has done four properties as NFTs. It's a non-refungable token. Most people, again, you know, when they don't understand something, they tend to stay away from it or scoff at it. Or, you know, a lot of people, I think, have the idea that crypto is just junk because they've seen it or they can't trust it, you know, especially with the FTX happening. And and really, I mean, I know I've been watching my crypto go up the last couple of months, just like the stock market, you know. And I want to make sure after I interviewed Proppy that my team and myself were the first ones here in Arizona to be able to navigate those transactions. And so it reminded me so much, like after Trend Homes in 2008 through 2013, I left there and I got really good at short sales. Not because I wanted to, but because when I worked at Trend Homes, I was able to buy as many homes as I wanted. I didn't have to get on a waiting list. I was a sales manager at the time. So I got divorced in 2007, left my job at Trend Homes, had two little kids with mouths to feed, and I had seven properties that were upside down. And I had tenants that weren't paying me rent. And it was just a cluster. So I learned really good how to do short sales because I needed to. That was when most of my colleagues didn't even know what they were. And I kind of felt that way when I started learning about NFTs with respect to real estate, because it's coming. And if people don't believe it's coming, that's fine. I'd rather them not if they're one of my com competitors. But ultimately, I'm currently in the process of NFTing land I purchased in Pine, and it will be on auction most likely by next month. I'm just waiting to get a water meter, and as soon as that happens, we will mint the NFT, put it on the blockchain, put it up for auction. And there's so many cool reasons why to do that, because I can build in royalties to my smart contract. But more, more than anything, it, for people to understand what I'm blabbing about, it's literally just learning the vocabulary because it's really not that abstract. We're literally almost basically making your real estate property like a stock, okay? And if, when people understand that, we kind of try to bring them back into terms that people do understand. Um, you know, it allows for commercial buildings like in New York to be sold with multiple end users or owners, I should say, that own fractional portions of it. So there's many ways that you can do it. The ways that have been done so far by Proppy in Florida were using Ethereum and smart uh, stablecoin um, were the uh, monetary amount or monetary types of Bitcoin that were used to purchase those properties during the auctions. And they've done four of them so far. And I'm hoping I'll be the fifth one to accomplish it here very near future here in Arizona. I actually just saw an email come through my email before we started recording all these shows today. Well, let me ask you this because there's a builder, Nick Schiffer, who I'm friends with out of Boston. And, you know, he, he was talking about NFTs in a way. And, and again, I want to understand kind of how you're working through this, Rebecca. So he said, you know, is there a way where you could have like your brand, whether it be like an AFT house or an NFT mm -hmm. or, or an NS builder house? And there's an NFT associated with it. So, you know, as that home is sold, you know, there's a transaction over, you know, there's a royalty per se because it's a branded home. You yeah. know, in the sports memorabilia market, a lot of us understand NFT. It's kind of easier, you know, there might be some signature shot of Jordan pushing out Byron Russell to right hand that shot. And you there's know, a that ton NFT. of too. Yeah. I totally yeah, know. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, but with housing, 
how how is the NFT working? Like when you bring up this example of the land you have in Pine, is yeah. this more like a different way to auction just that piece of dirt? Is there other and you mentioned other royalties? Like, you yeah. know, how, how does that really work with the NFT as far as you know tangible property value like real estate or land? So that's the thing is we're basically allowing it to be on the blockchain, and so that's where I think a lot of people kind of get their heads. It's hard to wrap around the concept, and I think once you realize when you're doing a token, you're just basically creating almost like a stock of whatever it is, whether it's a picture of Air Jordan, whether it's an artwork, whether it's fashion, you know, there's like songs, you know, I think if you're a gamer, what I've learned mostly about the crypto world, the gamers understand it much better than us old people that never played gaming. Or, you know, I say that because I never gamed, but I, you know, it took a while and several classes for it to finally start clicking for me. We were um, this past year, I, when I, when the announcement came out, uh, one of my clients was super excited and he's like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to sell my next house using my crypto to buy my next house. And I actually got him an NFT of his house as a gift. And it was dropped right into his wallet by Proppy. Um, and what they did is they just took a picture of his house and minted it along with the deed with a barcode referencing the county recorder's office. So right now, until it's more mainstream, any transactions for real estate that are happening as an NFT they are currently making it become an LLC so you can transfer the ownership of the property a little bit easier. Uh, so that is step one is converting your property title to an LLC. So you have to create an LLC. So it's a, like a, almost like a business to run. You know, it's, it's a piece of it's a business. And then um, you can do like what I just mentioned. And, you know, it's just a gift. And it's just more of a novelty for people who are gamers, which my client is. And um, so it's kind of fun for him to have a picture of his house and his wallet that was just dropped in. And that was kind of fun. But what I'm talking about doing is the next level. And it is just a different way to market it to people who are in that world. And there's a lot of wealth and there's a lot of investors and a lot of really smart people. And that was one of my biggest takeaways after I got certified. In fact, we're doing part two of the certification in the metaverse um, for everybody in my team, as well as a lot of the agents at Berkshire Hathaway, because of the success I've had, um, I believe Proppy has just partnered with Berkshire Hathaway and uh, Home Services. There's a lot of different um, brokerages under that umbrella to get more education out there because what I have uncovered is there's a lot of thirst for the information. And like you're still kind of got this furrow going, okay, Rebecca, you still didn't explain how that's going to work. <laughs> um, and so essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking the blueprints. So at this land that I bought, I parceled it off. We have the topography for it. We have the blueprints for it. We have the engineering for it. We have tons of pictures for it. So all of that will be minted together. And when I say minted, that is re I don't have enough time in our podcast to probably explain the entire process, but it refers to putting the transactions on the blockchain, which is believed to be much safer uh, place to store the information because our county recorder's office could burn down in theory. You know, I was saying that that happens every day, but it's on the blockchain and will live forever because it's decentralized. We have all these little computers working away all around the world. And so if one fails, there's another one who's doing it. And you don't have that at the county recorder's office at all right now. And then there's the whole thing about the transfer of ownership can take place in two weeks instead of, say, a month. And the money gets converted a lot faster and, and changes hands a lot faster as well. In fact, after one of the articles that was written, I had a really neat gentleman, and I hope he calls me back. I loved what he was talking about. He was trying to school me himself. He's like, you know, Ethereum's the 75 Cadillac out there. I want to use my XRP to buy my next house and go straight from my wallet to the title company because there's a lot of, you know, really informed, um, wealthy folks who, you know, would if they can, 
um, they probably prefer not to pay taxes on their crypto when they go to purchase real estate. So that's probably where most of my questions have been coming from is, and I'm, I, I'm, I don't even know enough to be dangerous when it comes to taxes and nor do I want to pretend that I do. <laughs> you know, obviously we need as real estate professionals to understand, you know, capital gains and things of that nature, but I certainly don't want to counsel people on how to do tax evasion. And I think that's the biggest thing that you're seeing with the crypto world after the collapse of FTX is that hopefully the government is going to step in. We have the stable coin that is tied to the U.S. dollar fiat, as people in crypto call it. And um, I think that as we get regulations in play, it'll become more mainstream. And hopefully, instead of it looking as a disruption to our industry, our title companies and our mortgage companies will get more behind it. In fact, uh, on Goldman and Sachs' article that we were just interviewed on yesterday, two of my lender partners were talking about the problem of sourcing the funds for when people want to use their crypto to do a down payment, for example, they have to source where the money came from. And they want to go way back to where, you know, when their wallet was initially started, um, which is not the case when you're just using U.S. dollars. So until we get more people educated, more people speaking that language, it'll probably still remain a little bit cumbersome. And honestly, that is why I'm doing my own property here in Arizona first, because I'm being my own guinea pig, Brad. I want to make sure I learn the mechanics of it and, you know, intimately myself before I'm offering those services to other clients. Okay. I think I got it. I'm going to give my recap, but I think I got it. So hear it. Yeah. So like a traditional NFT, you're buying like this sports image, right? Sells you own the property. That's fine. Essentially what we're doing here is, uh, and, and maybe the example I'll give, I know years ago in real estate before the internet, right? I remember realtors and brokers, and you may remember this, Rebecca, you'd get like the book. Books. Yes. You, you get this big book of all the listings, you'd comb through it. That's how you go through with your clients. And there you go. Well, now it moves to the MLS. It's online. So now, you, but again, you're kind of limited to whatever's on the MLS and there. But essentially what happens is by putting this property, whether it be land and pine or some house, mm-hmm. now you're opening it up to a whole new bandwidth, a ton of, you know, so it's exactly. increasing it as opposed to the traditional MLS. It's a new way. Then you have, by putting it on this platform, one, as you mentioned, you can close quicker on the property, two weeks. You know, it's easier. You know, it's almost like a wallet transaction, Apple wallet, it that it moves the property. And then, you know, the money conversion, tax benefit, which we won't get into because we're not tax consultants, you and I, but there could be some tax benefit. But I think even more importantly for someone who's created wealth in crypto or financial methods that they've had, that it's a lot easier instead of trying to verify the traditional method, going through a bank saying, hey, give me your last pay stubs. Give me, where did this money, where did this big deposit come from, Rebecca? We're going to flag it. You know, Um, where's the backup? Awesome. Great. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So essentially that's what it is. By NFT and a property, it's going to just accelerate the sales process, hopefully open up to a bigger pool of candidates. And mm-hmm. just make this transaction more smooth. Yeah. And I, you know, while you were talking, I'm going to add two things to that. Okay. Um, okay. While we were, while we were talking, there's one thing, the metaverse. So the metaverse was based, you know, really on gamers. Um, I just noticed, or I learned because this is something I want to do for Aloha I want to put our plans in the metaverse so people can have that experience from wherever they are, whether they're using Oculus glasses or not. And um, KB Homes already has one on their platform. I didn't know if you're aware of that, which is kind of cool. It looked really cartoony to me. I don't intend to do that myself, but I thought that was really cool. So we're really, we're seeing even big builders like KB Homes participating in the metaverse, which is tied to cryptocurrency. And oh gosh, now I'm trying to remember the second part of that, that I wanted to um with the crypto. All right. Keep talking, Brad. It'll come back to me, dude. I, yeah, I just so, like, what happens when you almost hit 50? You start forgetting things here and there. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I don't think you forgot very much. I mean, even in the beginning of the episode, you're telling me all these statistics. I'm like, how's Rebecca remember all this? Um, so what, what's interesting is we have to I – th- I think what this comes down to, and what, what I love how forthright you are about this, Rebecca, is that at the end of the day, like you're trying to be at the forefront of these things, whether it be yeah. social media, new technology. We have to embrace these things. We have to understand them. You know, we've all heard the quote, the only constant has changed. So we have to be understanding of – where the market's shifting, what the buyer pool's asking for, what they're demanding. And, and maybe we pivot to that, Rebecca. You're, you're dealing with a ton of clients. You're dealing with, and, and, and this has changed over the years. What are you seeing, you know, advice to architects, designers, builders? I know you're going to be working on getting your contractor's license as well. Right. And, and so you're pretty well versed in this. What are clients asking for now? Maybe that's different from 20 years ago or maybe even 10 years ago pre-pandemic. Ooh. Um, you know, I think what I'm seeing is a need for smaller homes. You know, back when you and I met 20 years ago, Brad, it was like novel to get a 4,000 square foot home here in Arizona. We were building big box houses, you know, and, and I'm finding because of the cost for utilities and, and maybe people are kind of realizing they don't necessarily need a big monster house. Now, COVID did change the perception for a lot of folks because all of a sudden they found themselves locked in their house. And, you know, for a hot second, we were seeing a run on vacation homes. We're seeing a run on, um, you know, ADUs to add, you know, office space to their current home because they were stuck at home. And, you know, maybe they wanted more space because all of a sudden they were working from home. But we have seen the return of the workforce back to their, you know, brick and mortar buildings. And what we're finding is there are, um, you know, for consumers, you know, not the demand for vacation rentals that we had seen before. In fact, a lot of them have been vacant as a result of, I think, the cost of living these days and, you know, the economy where it's been. Um, but also smaller homes, I think, are becoming, you know, people, I, I hear it all the time, like, I don't need that. I don't need that. But you know what they do need? And you build such beautiful homes. I mean, you really do. I love your Instagram page and all the photos. They all dream to have those same beautiful um, finishes in their homes for the average Joe. You know, I'm talking about, you know, things like the pretty backsplashes and having quartz countertops. And, you know, those are all the things, you know, regardless of whatever their budget can afford, whether it's a shoebox size home or a mansion, I think you're seeing a lot of neutral colors. You're seeing a lot of greenery inside the house. I think a lot of that was stemmed from just COVID, you know, trying, you're locked inside, you're trying to bring the outside in as much as possible. And, um, you know, I, I would say the average person that comes to me, I'm thinking of a client I'm working with right now. She's a first time home buyer. Her budget is up to 900, 900 first time home buyer. She works at a bank. She's having a hard time finding something that she likes because the areas that she wants to live in, she's having to do a bidding war right now if they're flipped. And so I, I will tell you, I think that regardless of their budget, they all want to have nice. They all want to have the pretty tiled shower instead of like the acrylic that turns yellow after five years. You know, they all want to have the wood plank looking floors that are laminate that hold up for forever. Um, you know, and pretty light fixtures. I'll tell you what, I say it all the time, and I know you do it because all your homes that I see on your Instagram page show this. I personally believe lighting is the jewelry of your home, and it can make such a difference with how pretty it feels when you come in. So at the end of the day, there's a Spanish saying, bueno, barato, y bonito, and it's uh, good, um, bueno, barato, cheap, and pretty, and everybody still wants that. So I think, <laughs> you know, you, you got to stick with that. I'm sorry, I'm Hispanic. I just think of those commercials I hear, you know, on the radio all the time, and Bueno, barato y bonito will always sell. Bueno, barato y, y uh, what was the other one? Bueno, B-U-E-N-O. Oh, 
Yeah. Bueno. No, no, I speak Spanish. So bueno, barato y bonito. Yeah. Bueno, barato y bonito. Where did you serve on your mission? Is that Argentina. Okay. I did. That's, yeah. that's a Mexican thing. So yeah. you always hear it on the Spanish They don't channel. speak that. Yeah. In Castellano and Dateche down in, uh, down in Argentina, they speak a little bit different. So Yes, they do. Which makes me crazy, but that's another story. Oh, that's some of the best time I like being down in Argentina. You know, great culture living outside oh. the country. So I think everyone should do that. Actually, um, my nephew's there right now. Oh, I'm wow. Sure. Yeah, my brother Carlos, all four of his boys have served, and the last one's down there right now. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, whether you're like Peace Corps, military, I mean, I just think there's a lot of benefit to living outside the country and having some additional perspective. But, oh, yeah. Um, but, but let me ask you this. I mean, getting back to the market a little bit, and what's interesting, you, you talked about that, you know, housing is huge and and sometimes we don't have to have you know this massive house ton of square footage i i'm seeing this trend too that even you know we're fortunate to work with you know a, a pretty unique clientele but but i will say just as involved as we are like in the market and in the industry mm-hmm. that clients are asking for you know homes that are more efficient right yeah sustainable as you mentioned yeah energy efficient is a huge thing healthy living right we we've, we've mm-hmm. lived through that and and we're fortunate you and i live in phoenix because we have sunlight. Indoor, yeah, sunlight. Indoor, outdoor living. You know, I uh, there's a friend of mine, and he's um, uh, he's a urologist, but essentially he says, you know, even for like males, like you have to be in the sun, you have to, you know, for that testosterone, and you know, he's mm-hmm. big on that. And what's interesting, I think, sunlight inspires all of us, and that indoor, outdoor living. So being able to have multi sliders, and you know, where we can have natural glass, and we can have that indoor, outdoor, entertaining space. You could build a smaller home, utilize the outside, and maybe July you may not have the windows open, but you know, for most of the year we can. Yeah. And in the evenings when the sun goes down, you're outside too. You can be in a lot of the areas as well in the summertime. If that is one thing, everybody, every time I show a house, if it has one of those sliders, especially if it's the true one that actually hides in the wall, yeah. <laughs> or they get excited, you know, because everybody, at least here, when, you know, half the country right now is freezing to death, we're in short and t-shirt weather. You, everybody's going to see it on the Super Bowl this week. And if they follow the uh, waste management open, they're going to see all that on the 16 as well. You know, it's a great place to be here in Arizona and because of the sunlight. So why not include that type of construction anywhere in the country when you're building a home to really help people live healthier? You know, outdoor sunlight and, and water, like, and those are the things I've been doing a lot of research on. And Brad, I'm sure you probably know better than I about like different water filtration systems, different fil- uh, filter systems for your home so you have clean air. There's a lot of that on the marketplace right now that I, I'm sad to say that most of our average Joes don't even know exist because it's just not in their world and nobody's marking those things to them, but I'm sure they'd love to have them. And I, you deal with it all the time, I'm sure, with your clientele. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something, and we've worked with a brand like uh, such as Delos, right? And Delos has, you know, they evaluate the the water table and, you know, the water quality and they design the water system and they, they design the air you know, as you know, it's tracking the VOCs, you know, the volatile organic, you know, compounds that are in the air and off gassing. And so it's controlling all that. And so we've been involved in that and some of the catcher lighting, which is pretty unique. What What's interesting is you had mentioned that, and this isn't so much a sales pitch for Phoenix, it kind of is a little bit, but you know, the, the when you and I knew each other, I mean, a lot of people in real estate, they were in construction, mm-hmm. especially pre-recession. And what we've seen over the last 10 years, a ton of infrastructures moved in, a lot of tech companies right? Apple's moving here. You mentioned the Taiwanese plant that were, you know, all the commercial construction happening. So mm-hmm. Phoenix is becoming a pretty diverse, you know, business place. What are you seeing, you know, nationally? I know you network with a lot of brokers, you know, I know you're pretty confident in where we are in Phoenix. How, how's the rest of the country looking, you know, 
real estate construction remodel, you know, other realtors, what are they, you know, projecting for the next few years? Well, that's a tough question because there's a lot of other states besides Arizona to talk about. But what I can tell you is um, Idaho, Texas, Florida, um, those have been a lot of states that people migrated into as COVID, you know, kind of locked people into their homes and they wanted to get out of where they were at. You're seeing people leaving California as always. But it's interesting as people still keep moving to California. So I don't think their populations changed that much. Um, and then on the East Coast, you know, because of their higher taxes and the and the weather, you know, that does get people migrating out. What I am seeing is there's still a lot of fear in the marketplace, to be honest. You know, when you have Goldman Sachs going out there and putting articles that are really misleading out there, making it sound like it was the doom and gloom of 2008, that's not helping anybody. It might be helping them get some clickbait and some articles. Um, but overall, as the rates continue to get improved, I think all of the areas that have been hurting the last six months, I mean, we hurt in, in Phoenix. Typically, we're the first to feel the pain. And then we're the first to come out of it right along with Florida and Nevada a lot of times. And, and now Idaho's added to that list. I know a lot of people have moved to Montana. I think you're seeing a lot of people kind of move away from the coastlines for many reasons, whether it's um, politics or taxes and, and just the cost of living. Um, but overall, I think the consensus and it'll be interesting. I have convention to go to next month for Berkshire Hathaway and we have 55,000 agents in the country. So I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot from them at, at that convention but overall, um, I think everybody's ready to get back to work. And in the last month here in Arizona, I've been really busy, which is so wonderful because the last half of 2022, I wasn't. In fact, I don't know how much time we have left on the show, but I'd love to share a quick story about yeah, my please. household. Um, so my, I mentioned the daughter in Hawaii, right? So not only did she go there for her um, bachelor's, she went for her master's and she was graduating last May. And so my mom, you know, the mom and me was like, oh, I can't wait to watch my daughter graduate. And meanwhile, <laughs> I'm really busy at work going, oh, my God, these interest rates keep rising. Oh, my gosh, I'm feeling some shifting happening because of the volume I deal with. I tend to feel it a little bit faster than some of my counterparts. And um, all of a sudden come April, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think we because we were my husband and I just moved out to Gold Canyon. We're going to be building a custom home. We um, have gone through some really fun plan and review process with the Superstition Mountain Country Club. Oh, that's and, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 18 months. Thank you. And I'm now down at County and who knows how long it'll be down there. Um, but essentially, I wasn't ready to sell my house, but I knew the shift was happening. Right. And um, so I, we scurried along. We'd lived in this home for 10 years, raised our daughters in there. You know, they'd walk to the elementary school at the end of the street. And essentially, I felt really defeated after cancellation number two. You know, I've been doing real estate for nearly 30 years. I thought I knew what I was doing. And uh, first buyers, I had a bidding war going in June. I got it on market right at Memorial. Uh, it was a Diamonds back baseball player along with somebody with cash. I should have gone with baseball player. Went with cash. <laughs> cash guy decides I, he knows the market better than me. And two days before closing, tried to bend me over to get 75 grand off the house. I said, oh, hell no, go away. And we put it back on market again. The, and this is this really plays into the education piece because the realtor number two that came along, she didn't do enough volume to know that the shift was already happening. And so I get the love letter begging for the house, how they wanted to move into that neighborhood because they're friends with there and they wanted their kids that they didn't have yet to go to the same elementary school my kids went to and they walked down. Okay. We get under contract, we go through inspection, and they cancel because of the school traffic. This, mind you, it's summertime. There is no school traffic. The same school that they wrote me the love letter on because they got cold feet because now all of a sudden rates are up higher. They're getting quoted for more. And there was just fear out there. And I think that fear is still lingering in a lot of other places in the marketplace. And that's why I wanted to share the story. So I had moved out. We had had it painted. We had it staged because I always promote to my clients. 
you know, if you want top dollar, you got to make it um, as pretty as possible. It's a, it's a beauty contest out there. And so my husband's like, hey, let's just move back in there. I'm like, no, we didn't just go and do everything. Like we're living in my mom's <laughs> house in Solera. Like, oh, it was just terrible. And you know what we did? I didn't have the balls to actually list it a million. My husband goes, hey, why don't, because we're at 975. He goes, why don't we offer two points and just raise the price to a million and let's just go for it. I'm like, okay, let's do that. You know, I'm like not believing him, but I'm trying to have faith. And I went and buried a St. Joe just because I'm superstitious that way. And I use St. Joe's a lot this past summer, by the way, and they came in handy every time. Um, buyer number three stuck, but I did offer a concession to the buyer to pay for some closing costs. And they did pay the million dollars for my property. Now, since then, nobody in that neighborhood has sold a house for more than 800. And so one of my old neighbors, you know, looked me up and they want me to help them sell their house today. And they weren't happy to hear what I was suggesting for list price, but nobody else has, has had any closing. So really what we're having right now is sellers like my old neighbor who are looking at what I was able to accomplish. Now it took me three times and a ton of stress and it was not at all like the marketplace that had happened just prior two months prior. Um, I had listed a house for a client last March and I listed at 1.1 she got 1.2 in a bidding war. And you, you, everybody heard those kind of stories last, right? right? Um, but now we're kind of in the reverse and we have a lot of sellers who are looking at those prices feeling like we've lost a lot, but we really haven't lost a lot because right now the pricing in Arizona, at least I can speak to, is about in line with where we were this time last year. It's just they missed that rise, that last little rise up, that wave that I barely caught. It took me three times to finally hop on my surfboard and actually ride it in. Um, and it's just incredibly hard to time any marketplace. So I wanted to share even those of us who've been in the industry 30 years selling their own personal house. Shit happens sometimes, Brad. I hope I can say that on here. You might have to edit you that can. out. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, just stay positive and just do the best that you can. But when it comes to selling your home today, at least here in Arizona, stop looking at last summer's prices, guys. If you've lived in your home for at least two years, you've got great equity. And we need your houses on the market because what we're having is we already have a shortage and we're having bidding wars and buyers and we're only going to keep getting them as these commercial complexes get finished and, and more companies move in, which does mean prices will drive up as we see more more need and interest rates as they drop. I don't probably spur those prices to come up again, too. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, but I think to your point, I mean, a lot of people are looking at, well, the peak was whether they're getting Zillow reports or MLS or did they just know our neighbor's home so far. Yeah, the, the peak before interest rates went up was early last year, but mm -hmm. that's like looking at a stock if you're following the stock market saying, well, at the peak, you know, this stock sold here. I'm waiting for the reality is that's kind of a, you have to, that's an outlier. You can't count that. Whereas if you look like pre COVID levels, like pre pandemic, maybe yeah. 2020, 2019, Home yeah. values, right? Phoenix are still higher today, even mm -hmm. though they've come down than they were, you know, two, three years ago. Oh, absolutely. There's a ton of equity for anybody. And that's actually the last show I just recorded. That was kind of my finishing statement is it feels like we're back around 2018, 19 before COVID ever happened that, you know, we have demand, you know, albeit it's lower than what we're used to from the last couple of years. We still have a strong demand and we don't have enough houses to sell. Um, right now with the 18,000 active listings, it's a far cry from the 43,000 we had during 2008. And in fact, we really need it to be back into the 20s to have it have a buyer feel like they have some choices. And unfortunately, as more buyers come back into the marketplace, it's only going to get tougher. I'm encouraging any of my clients that if they're looking to buy a house, they should do it now. Um, don't wait for those interest rates to come down because that's when everybody else is waiting and you're going to have more competition and probably pay more money for the same house than if you just purchased today. 
And like you said, you may be able to leverage the seller into paying down some of your interest rate anyways oh, into the closing. Absolutely. So. And well, not necessarily for the pretty ones because we're back to bidding wars. I just give you that <laughs> example yeah. for the pretty ones. But in but, some areas. Yeah, in some areas. And it's definitely different cities. You know, I just mentioned on the last show um, the areas where the builders are. Those are areas where the buyers can still get deals on the resale homes because they're competing against the builders. And so the resale yep. are still suffering in areas like Buckeye and out in Queen Creek, right? And the two far corners of our valley where there's a lot of new home construction. Um, but other than that, if you're trying to buy a house in Scottsdale, Tempe, Mesa, Gilbert Chandler, or any of those, you know, Glendale, if it's pretty Stuff. remodeled, yeah, you're going to be, you're, you're not going to be getting, stealing any houses right now. And in fact, we need our sellers to come back because there's an appetite for it. And there's buyers out looking right now and they're, they're not liking what they're finding. So what Don't. do you do for, what do you do for fun, Rebecca? Cause you are a busy lady. <laughs> I travel whenever our life allows. I love traveling and um, recently got into doing yoga and hiking and just living a lot cleaner and healthier myself. So, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the outdoors as much as possible. That's my happy place. That's amazing. So what do you have that's upcoming and exciting for those listening? Well, go dial in and check out alohatopia.org if you're listening and look me up in the New York Times this next week. That'd be pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I have been on House Hunters before for whatever that's worth. If anybody is a fan of that show, you'll find my episode. It's actually on my website at integrityallstars.com. Um, what else is there? Oh, yeah. And stay tuned on the whole NFT thing when my house go, or my property goes to auction. Uh, I know everybody keeps asking. That was the biggest question from the New York Times. They wanted to know if I'm expecting 10% more or 20% more. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm doing it for the first time, but you know, <laughs> that sounds like a good follow-up story. So um, stay tuned on that as well. Well, that's amazing. Rebecca, where can our listeners find you? Uh, best place would be uh, Grateful Heart TV. Uh, gratefulheart.tv is the, our website for my podcast to see any of those shows. I mentioned Strata on episode 98. I think Pal Kauai might've been, I don't know. You guys look at it. it just, I recorded that one, I think afterwards, maybe episode 103. And um, you can always go to my website at integrityallstars.com and fill out the contact us form. You'll get me or my staff. And, uh, you know, I've been here serving full time in the Valley for 30 years almost now come May. So I like to think I know a thing or two and how to guide people, whether they want to buy or sell real estate here. And I'm always looking ahead and trying to stay ahead of my competitors by staying really nerdy. I like being a nerd and I study stats and, you know, like to be able to educate whenever I can. Well, thanks, Rebecca. I, I will attest that I've known you for quite some time and you are a truly talented and very knowledgeable individual. So I can't thank you enough for sharing that with our audience today. Thank you, Brad. Thank you again for having me on. And I cannot wait to come to your coalition in May. Get we'll to see you in May. My life. <laughs> yep, sounds good. Thanks, guys. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe. Make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on. And even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.